Welcome to Elevate City. We're so glad you're here. First thing, I want to thank PK and Pastor Bethany and their family for allowing me to speak today. I know that um, it's a huge honor for me to be able to do that, that they're allowing me to do that. But also, just to say how wonderful it is that we're part of a church who lets our pastor and his family take a break and take a good rest like this. He preaches rest to us all the time. So it's great that we allow him to do this as well. And we all know that after he comes back from a vacation, he's super fired up and ready to go when he comes back to speak the next week. So we're looking forward to them being back next week. But um, this is week seven of our summer at Elevate City uh, series that we're in. And I want to start off by actually piggybacking off of what my husband, Pastor Kyle Sadler, spoke on last week, and that was starting in the Great Commission. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Great Commission is just what Jesus' last words were to us before he left earth and went back to heaven that he said to his followers. So we're looking at Acts 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are called to be witnesses, witnesses of God's love, of his grace, of his mercy in our lives. And one of the things I love that Pastor Kyle Sadler (laughs) said last week was we're not called to be defense attorneys, we're not called to be uh, prosecutors, we're not called to be salesmen, we are called simply to be a witness, to know what it is God's done in our lives, what we've seen him do, and to be a witness and share that with others around us. Our story that God has done in us is important. No matter what we think of it, it's important, and it's important that we share it to people who need to hear it. Now, for those of you who don't know, I actually got my bachelor's degree in psychology, um, and I loved it. Even though you can't really do much with a bachelor's degree in psychology job-wise, I really enjoyed what I learned. And one of the things that I really loved about it is, to me, what I see when I study things like psychology and science and research is that science has just found out what the Bible already said is true. So what happens is these researchers and these scientists, know God or not, come along and they research and find what is true of human nature and behavior. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, God already said that like a few thousand years ago. So we knew that. (laughs) But it's really cool still to see science come along and prove it to be true. So I want to share with you a little bit of my psychology nerdy self and talk to you about one of the things that you may have heard if you ever took a Psych 101 class in high school or college is something called Erickson's Stages of development because I think it really sets up what we're going to be talking about today. Erickson is a a researcher who came up with this theory of the theory of lifespan development and um, his stages of development through that. So he has stages through every lifespan and we're going to cut out for today the child portion and skip right up to teenagers. So the the Basically what it's about is that everyone in any stage goes through a crisis. So we hear about the midlife crisis all the time, and that is one. But we also have other crises or tasks or choices that we're confronted with at different stages of our life that if we choose the more healthy, functional one that we would like, it's going to make it easier in the next stage to more easily be able to choose the healthier one in that, which pushes us on to the next stage in each one. But if we choose the one that is... Um, less healthy, less functional, then it's going to set us up to be easier to choose a more dysfunctional way through the rest of our life. 
So given that there are some things in childhood that lead into these things, we are going to start with teenagers. So teenagers, I don't know if this is news to anyone, but a lot of times teenagers go through an identity crisis, right? Everyone remember the teenage years or know some teenagers? Trying to figure out who they are, what they're all about, maybe trying different music styles or different hobbies or interests or um, styles of clothes, and they're trying to figure out who they are. And so the crisis that we see in the teenage years is identity versus confusion. They're trying to figure out who they are, and if they come out of the teenage years feeling a firm sense of their identity and who they are, instead of confusion, then it's going to be easier to set them up to win in the next stage. So why I think this stage is important is because I don't know if you've heard or ever said or heard anyone say that I just need to find myself. I'm just trying to find myself right now. Well, I don't really like that phrase very much. I think it's really fluffy and cliche, and it's not my favorite. I'm not a fan of fluffy stuff, except my dog. My dog is very fluffy, and I like him. But other than that, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of life advice that's fluffy. I'd rather be straight and to the point. So uh, we... We have this phrase, I just need to find myself. What I believe is we don't need to find ourselves. We need to find the one who made us and knows us better than anyone. And if we find him, he tells us exactly who he's designed us to be and how and why and gives us purpose and identity in him. We're not looking for our identity in me. We're looking for our identity in Jesus, our identity in God and who he's called us to be. And here at Elevate City, we really prioritize that through our value of knowing God. If we truly know who God is and his intentions for us, then we can really know who our identity is in Christ. Now, we move out of the teenage years and become young adults. And I don't know if you are a young adult or remember being a young adult, but I hear a lot of young adults say, and people my age say, man, adult friendships are hard. It's just hard to find adult friendships. Like when you're in college or high school, you're just naturally set up with friendships. Like they're in your class. They're studying the same things. They're on your teams. You're already interested in the same things. And then you go to an adult level and you're at work and you go home and then there's like Netflix or there's chores or there's things like that. There's not just set up people in your dorm that you're living with and friends. Like that's not how it works when you're an adult. But when you're an adult, we have this crisis of, or a young adult, intimacy versus isolation. So the, the problem here is we're trying to find, are we going to do life in real relationships? Are we perhaps going to find the person we are meant to spend the rest of our lives with? Are we going to have real life-giving, fulfilling relationships? Or are we going to isolate ourselves and become alone and become lonely and by ourselves and not be surrounded by those fulfilling relationships? This one is very important in the way that God tells us to live because he tells us to do life in community. He tells us to do life with each other. He says that we are made for each other and to be there for each other and that my weaknesses you have strengths for and your weaknesses I have strengths for and we can uh, complement each other in those. And so it really helps set us up. And the value that this goes with is, of course, our find freedom, which is all about finding freedom by doing life and life transformative relationships through small groups. And that is so important to be able to do that, to really be able to do life together with other people. It is one of the main culture values of our church that uh, really defines who we are, is to be able to have those life transformative relationships with others. 
That leads us into the middle-aged years. And in here, the crisis is called generativity or living generously versus stagnation. Feeling like you don't have anything to give, don't want to give, don't have time to give, whatever it is, but you're not contributing to the world like maybe you would want or would like or would hope or even feel that desire to. Because that's something God's placed in all of us, the desire to live generously and to contribute to the world. But we don't all end up achieving that. And so how do we end up living a generous life? This is the main area that we're going to focus in today is how we can really choose that generativity or living generously with our lives rather than feeling a lack of purpose. And then finally, when we reach the older adult years, the choice is between integrity versus despair. Essentially what this is, is are we able to look back on our lives and feel a sense of satisfaction versus feeling a sense of failure? And I don't know about you, but I can really tell when we have, um, like my grandparents, you can really tell people, my grandparents' age and everything, whether they're like just grumpy old adults or they are really excited about the life that they've lived and they know that they've left behind something good and they're proud of the life that they've lived and how they've contributed and feeling um, satisfied in that. And I think that those things are things that you can really tell and see in people. So we are going to talk today about how God has given each and every one of us a purpose. So there are a few really great verses of scripture that really highlight the truth of that. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created on purpose and with a purpose. We weren't created by chance or accident. Job 10.8 says, your hand shaped me and made me. He made us with intention. We are not just one in a few billion. We are technically specks of dust on a timeline that are here today and gone tomorrow, but we have the opportunity to be specks of dust that make an eternal impact. It's whether we choose to do that or not. And he made us with the intention to be able to leave a lasting impact. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. That brings us to our first fill in the blank, which is my purpose is to serve God by serving others. Our purpose on this earth, why we were created, is to serve God by serving others. We weren't simply created to exist give our lives to God, and then die. That's not what it, if that were the case, the second that you give your life to God, you could just die right there and go straight to heaven, be taken to heaven right away. But he leaves us here. So he has a reason for us here. Like he wants us to come to know him as quickly as we can so that we can then live a full life following him and serving others. There is purpose in this life even after we give our lives to the Lord. We were created and redeemed to serve God and to serve others. Ministry is using my gift to serve others. Ministry is using my gift to serve others. So I'm going to talk about this in a minute here, but really being a minister is just being able to serve others, to minister to them, to care for them, to be there for them, to reach out to them. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 5 says, Now God gives us many kinds of special abilities, and there are different kinds of service to God, which is ministry. All of you together form one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. You see, we need each other. We can't fulfill that great commission alone. We cannot go into all the world and make disciples of all nations by ourselves. We can't do that alone. We need 
each other. That's how God designed it. Whether it's backstage, front stage, or anything in between, God designed us to all be able to have different roles and different parts to play to work together to achieve a common mission. Here at Elevate City Church, we believe that every single member is a minister. We believe that every single one of you are anointed and called of God to be able to minister to others, to be able to reach out, to have a purpose and a calling and a mission that is unique to your life that partners with other people on the same mission. We also believe here that every single task is important. Every single task is important. There's nothing too big or too small that doesn't matter. This morning, I was in the women's restroom, and I needed a bobby pin. Guess what? There were bobby pins in there for me. That's important. Like, you're stocking the bobby pins on Sunday. We need those bobby pins. There are people who are constantly refilling the Splenda and the Sweet and Low and the sugar packets and wiping up all of our little uh, coffee dribbles and all of that kind of stuff. They're, they're taking care of that. There is no job that's too little or too big. Yeah, maybe we don't have someone do that. But then we have people distracted. They come in and they're distracted by the coffee mess or they don't have my favorite sweetener or I really needed a bobby pin today and now I'm just going to be thinking about how bad my hair looks all day. Instead of being able to focus on God and what he has to say to you, our job is to remove every single distraction we possibly can so that you're able to work on the real barriers and walls you have up in your life. So that when people come in and they have walls built up all around their heart and their spirit, they're able to work on those because they're not worrying about all of the little things, the mess on the floor or the trash here and there or the fact that nobody said hi to them because we've got all that covered. They can feel welcome right from the start. I'm thankful for the people who put the lyrics up on the screens every time so that I don't have to try and memorize the words every single time and forget what I'm about to say. I can just focus on what I'm saying in worshiping God. I'm thankful for the people who go out even in the middle of winter or when it's sweltering hot outside and are sticking flags in the frozen ground or working really hard and sweating a bunch, sticking flags in the ground and pulling them up so that people can see where we're at and who we are. I'm thankful for the people who are constantly providing everything that we need for the coffee and walking through and picking up trash on the ground and picking up trash after service and filling up the mic batteries between messages. I'm thankful for all those people. They do that for a reason. They do that for a purpose, and it leaves an impact. Also at Elevate City Church, we believe that every member is a 10 in some area. That means that you are a 10 out of 10 in something. At least one thing, probably more, God has gifted you to be a 10 out of 10 in something. But here's what we too often do. We take what I'm a 3 out of 10 in and I compare it to your 10 out of 10. I'm like, man, I really wanted to be a drummer. I mean, I really did, like legitimately, I really would love to be a drummer. I mean, how awesome would it be also to have a female drummer? I would just love that. That would be so fun. But I'm really uncoordinated, like real bad, and there are too many pieces on the drum. So instead of saying, oh my goodness, I'm just like a zero out of 10 as a drummer, and look how great Ben was back there today on the drums. Like, how does he even do that? Instead of comparing myself and beating myself down because I don't have enough coordination to be a good drummer, I'm saying, 
man, we got some really good drummers at this church. I don't know how they do it. I can never do that. They're awesome. Like we can lift others up in their 10 out of 10 and then take the time to figure out our 10 out of 10 so that we can be that where God's called us to be. Don't compare your 3 out of 10 or your 5 out of 10 to someone else's 10 out of 10 because you have your own. You're wasting too much time comparing to others to be able to use what it is you're great at and what it is you are called to do. See, everybody needs a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. Next week when PK gets back, he's going to be all ready and fired up for his message. And I can already tell it's going to be good just by the title. It's called A Call to Action. Less talk, more action. I'm ready to go for next week already. It's going to be awesome. So we are going to hear more about the ministry and the mission that we each have individually and together but today we're talking about learning to serve like Jesus. And in Matthew 20, 28, it says, Your attitude must be like my own, Jesus is talking, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. You see, Jesus gave up heaven, he gave up his throne in heaven, and he even gave up his deity for an amount of time so that he could come and be born as an infant and then be laid in a horse trough and then grow up and have to go through things like growing pains and family vacations. I mean, I don't know if you all have fantabulous family vacations, but we fought a lot when I was growing up on family vacations. A little stressful. I know my parents were probably real stressed. Um, but he had to go through this thing like that. His parents lost him at a festival when he was 12. Like, Jesus had to go through that stuff too. He went through like adolescence. Whew. Man, that's rough, right? He went through all of these things that we went through. He gave that up. He gave up everything and more just so that he could serve us, just so that he could serve. Not so he could come down and take an earthly throne and rule and reign and dominate the world and so people could bow to him and give him jewelry. No, he came down here to serve. He gave up everything to come and serve Number one is serving like Jesus means being available. Serving like Jesus means being available. Almost every time that Jesus performed a miracle, it was the result of an interruption. He was being interrupted by people needing something from him. He was teaching or he was going from here to there or he was doing something else. And someone would come and interrupt him. And he made himself available in that interruption to be there and serve. He made himself available because he was with people. He couldn't have been interrupted, right, if he was just isolated on an island somewhere. He couldn't have been interrupted. He was with people, and he was willing and able in serving his purpose. However, I'm not saying that you should just constantly say, yes, 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 I'll do everything. I'm doing everything for you, and then forget about yourself completely for the rest of eternity. Jesus very strategically took time away first to build himself up in his relationship with God so he was able to be ready for the interruptions. He took 40 days and nights, no food, in the wilderness just to be tempted by Satan and spend time with God 40 days before he even started his ministry. And then once he started his ministry, he took time out regularly and went to places alone, away from the crowds, away from his friends, in silence to spend time with God. He regularly fed himself first, so then he was available and ready and able to be able to handle the interruptions and be there when people needed him. But here's the problem. The devil is also making himself available. I know that sounds like dark and gloomy and stuff. But listen, in Luke 4, 13, this is when Jesus was getting done with his 40 days. 
It says, the, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And it says that more than once about the devil, that he's waiting for an opportune time to do his work. So if he's looking for an opportune time, how much more do we need to be ready for that opportune time? Because we cannot allow the devil to beat us to the punch. We want to beat him to the punch. We want to be there first so that the victory can be ours, not his. So that people can be served and see Jesus and feel love rather than being beaten down and attacked. We want to be able to be ready and available for the opportune time. Proverbs 3.28 says, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. But my question is, do we even know our neighbors well enough to know that they need anything? to know their needs? Are we aware of those who are around us on a regular basis? Those people even in our small groups or our coworkers or the kids that sit next to us and cheer at the same team at our kids' games? Do we know those people well enough? Are we aware enough? Are we present enough to know that they may have needs too? Are we available and ready for the interruptions that come? Does anything even go beyond the surface with the people who are in our lives? Or are we too distracted? There's a difference between having people in your life and doing life with people. We say don't do life alone all the time here. And I love it. But ultimately it comes down to us to choose to participate in that. We're surrounded by people here who believe that you shouldn't do life alone and want to do life with you. But it comes down to us accepting that. And the last couple weeks have been some of the hardest on me and my family. There's been a lot going on, and it's been really difficult in a lot of different kinds of ways. And I had so many people, because of the culture that has been set up here at Elevate City, who have basically pounded down my door asking to be there for me and to do life with me and to walk through it alongside me. I had people literally send me their schedules telling me when they were free and could help me. I had people saying, do you need someone just to come sit with you? Can I please take your kids overnight so that you don't have to worry about it and you can get some time? Can I please do, it? what can I do for you? I can come right now. I'm right across the street. I'll be there to sit with you. I had other people sending me random words of encouragement, some like really long out of nowhere, some who didn't even know what was going on send me messages like that and send me words of truth and speak life over me when I was doubting everything. That's what not doing life alone looks like. These people are coming to me like, don't do life alone, don't do life alone, I'm here, I'm here. But it took me also saying, yes, please come sit with me. Yes, please take my kids. Yes, please pray for me. This is exactly what I need prayer for. I'm being vulnerable. This is scary to say to you, but I need prayer, I need help, I need you to help me. It's two ways, and we are re this church is full of people ready to do life with you, ready to make sure that you don't have to do it by yourself. People are writing you into their schedules to be able to help you and do life with you. That's what being available is about. So our first barrier to being available is busyness. Philippians 2.4 says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He was always very blunt and to the point. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Do we even have room in our lives to lend a hand when we see someone needs it? 
Say I see someone needs it, but I'm too busy because my schedule's already booked and I can't cancel anything. So I see someone needs a helping hand, but I can't. The night that everything went kind of crazy for my family last week was the night before Summer Blast. And Summer Blast was already a ton of work. And Pastor Heidi and Blythe asked to take my kids for me. And they took them in the midst of Summer Blast craziness. They made it happen so that they could help, so that they could be there, so that we could get done things that we needed to get done that day. They were there, and my kids had a blast, and they didn't have to worry about the stresses that was happening with other things going on. Make room in your busy schedule. Are our priorities right enough so that we can have the space to serve when we hear the call? Are we able to and willing to cut things out of our lives to make room for things that come up that are more important or more impactful for eternity? Or do we have so many extracurriculars and work hours and Netflix and apps and games and notifications? Do we have too many of those things that any free time that we do have and any available time that we do have has already been wasted? And I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I'm addicted to a good Netflix show myself. But you've got to be able to make the space, be able to say no, be able to say, no, I need to get some important things done. I need to get some lasting things done. Prioritize what matters. Because otherwise, we don't have time for anything that actually matters in this life because we've spent it doing stuff that makes us just a speck that's here today and gone tomorrow instead of a speck that's going to make a difference for eternity. I'd rather be a speck that's here today and gone tomorrow but impacted eternity for tomorrow. I would rather have that. The second barrier to being available is readiness. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So you don't need to be ready to fully be ready. How many times has life hit you and you were not ready, good or bad? Like, you're just never really ready for anything. There's just no way we can ever be 110% ready for everything that comes at us. You don't need to be ready to be ready. What it comes down to is being willing, being open, and having had enough of the time set aside that you are loving and walking with Jesus. That's really the only prerequisites we need to be ready and to be available. If you don't step up, Someone else probably will, but you'll be the one missing out on the blessing. God had called you to that, and it's your choice. He gave us free will to say no or not. But the other person who ends up stepping in, first of all, they may not be the 10 out of 10 in that area like you are. But second of all, you're going to miss out on the blessing that he had to give you. My, um, I think it's my great uncle is he always told my dad, and my dad always told me, no one can mess up the will of God for your life except you. No one can mess up the will of God for your life except you. So when he calls, let's answer him. Let's go to where he sends us. The second barrier, oh, I already talked about that one. Number two, serving like Jesus means being grateful. So first we have being available. Second, we have being grateful. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. When we serve, how do we serve? Are we serving out of obligation because we feel like we should? 
Are we serving out of guilt because we feel guilty that no one else is doing it? Are we serving out of pride because we feel like, oh, I should be able to serve here because I'm amazing at this? Do we serve just because there's a need and you're a warm body and you can fill it? Or do we serve because we know we're called, we have a purpose, we know we're a 10 out of 10, or at least real close and we think so. We, know, we serve because we know God is calling us to that and has given us a purpose and we are being fulfilled. Acts 20, 24 says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. See, life is nothing without fulfilling the purpose God has given us on this earth. The first barrier to being grateful is materialism. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. Command them to do good and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that phrase, take hold of the life that is truly life. That means there's a life that's not truly life. That means there's a life that's not really living, that's not really full with everything God has for us. It's really hard to approach serving and approach life with gratitude when we're not even content with where we're at. When we're struggling, when we're always envious, when we're always wanting something more, when the grass is always greener on the other side instead of us watering where we're at. We can't even look at our lives with contentment and satisfaction, then we can't have gratitude. We can't serve from a place of gladness and gratitude. Having our priorities on material things prevents us from being able to have serving God in a place that is truly life-giving. It prevents us from being able to take hold of the life that is truly life. And then that leads straight into the second barrier of being grateful, which is discontent. See, materialism breeds discontent. We can have discontent for all kinds of reasons, but these two definitely do go hand in hand. So materialism breeds discontent, but also so does comparison. Whether it's comparison on social media, comparison to what they have that you don't have, comparison to the dreams that you had 10 years ago that aren't fulfilled yet. Whatever comparison it is, always wanting the most next exciting thing in life, never being content with your current season, Whatever it is, it prevents us from living a life of gratitude. I have always been the person who's a mega planner. Like I literally had a book for a year called My Life Planner. And you just feel it's very colorful and pretty. And I got colorful pins to color code everything. It's like this big. Anyway, it has lots of nice stickers too. But it was great. But God really had to work with me on that because, like, I had a timeline on when I was going to get married and have kids and then go to grad school and then do all these things. And I was like, I'm for sure going to be a foster mom by 21 because that's exactly when you're allowed to be a foster mom in Indiana. And, you know, we just had a, I was like, well, if I'm going to get married at 22, I need to start growing my hair out by 19. And, like, so I had all these things, like, super mega planned out, right? Okay, so to the extreme. But the point is I was never satisfied with where I was at enough to enjoy it. I was never satisfied with where I was at enough to enjoy it and enough. I probably did not fully serve my purpose in each of those seasons. Because when I was in middle school, I just couldn't wait to get to high school. When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to go to college. When I was in college, I just wanted to be out and I wanted to get married. When I got married, I just wanted to hurry up and have kids and foster kids. That's all I wanted. I was just always wanting the next best thing, the next adventure, the next exciting whatever it is. And instead, what I have found 
is to be content right where God's put you. That doesn't mean he's not going to move you somewhere else. He probably will. He's probably going to shift up your seasons. But the point is to be content right here. This is the first season of life where I can honestly, truly say I'm currently living the dream. I love it. I'm exactly where I'm at, and it's the best life ever. I love it. And I'm saying that coming off of two of the hardest weeks of my life. I still love it. It's wonderful. And I'm so glad that God finally helped me become content where I'm at. And I'm excited for whatever he brings me next. But I'm content right here. And more than content, I'm loving it. And there's no better place to be. There's no more free place to be than exactly where God has you. Not just exactly where God has you, but you loving it exactly where God has you. Me and Kyle used to talk about when we were dating that um, God doesn't call everyone to a hut in Africa, but he calls everyone to their version of a hut in Africa. Not saying that Fort Wayne is my hut in Africa. I actually love Fort Wayne. But there is always going to be something that you're called to that seems like not the thing you want to do, but eventually you're going to love it. You're going to love where God has you. If you seek out the purpose he has on your life, if you're available and live a life of gratitude. So the Apostle Paul, he wrote a large part, the majority of the New Testament. He had been all kinds of different things. He had been shipwrecked. He had been bitten by poisonous snakes. He had been in and out of prison. He had been a very uh, prestigious leader, religious leader. He had been um, like multiple jobs. He had been homeless. He had had nice homes. He had had all these things. And then he explains contentness this way. First uh, Timothy 6, 7 through 10 says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. He also said in another book that he wrote, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just contentment by itself, not just godliness by itself, but both together is great gain. So contentment, we need to have contentment to be able to serve and be grateful. Number three is serving like Jesus means being faithful. There are lots of myths that we hear in our heads or tell ourselves about why we don't serve or why we don't need to serve. Maybe it's that you thought you needed to know a lot more about the Bible to be able to do that specific thing that God's laid on your heart. Maybe you feel like you're just not spiritual enough and you need to put a lot more spiritual time in to be able to do that. Maybe it's because you didn't know that God or the church needed you, that there wasn't a, maybe you thought everything was already filled, we're good to go, you see lots of dream teamers every Sunday, so it's fine, you're not needed. Maybe you didn't know how much ministry would positively influence your life. Ask anyone who serves on the dream team, I'm pretty confident, they're going to tell you all of the gains that they've had from serving. Maybe it's because you're too busy trying to balance a job and work and family and everything life has to throw at you. So you're like, no, sorry, I can't serve right now. not going to do it. Maybe it's because you feel like you're just too good for it. That serving is below you or that serving in that particular role isn't up to your standard. 
that you don't want to be the person doing this thing or that thing. You don't want people to see you doing that, so you're not going to serve. Whatever it is, whether it's feeling too good or not good enough, it doesn't come down to talent either way. It comes down to being faithful, to being faithful to what God's called you to do. I don't know about you, but I do not want to risk being disobedient to God. I just don't want to risk it. I want to be obedient to God, not only because, you know, I love him, I'm scared of what he'd do if I didn't, but also because he gives so much blessing and reward for following him and for living in his will and for fulfilling the purpose that he's placed in your life so much. I have seen so much. When I've had to make a painful decision even, to obey God and follow God, when I've had to do something he's asked me to do that I didn't see the point in or that was humiliating or whatever the case may be, I can look back on it now and see, my God is faithful. He's come through. He will come through again. So I'm gonna be faithful to him. He's proven it before we've had to prove anything to him. He's already gone there. He's already done that. So we need to ask what is more important, prominence or significance? What is more important? See, so of like facial features, the nose is the most prominent. I have a fairly prominent one myself. Nose is the most prominent. Or, and of just considering, like we talk a lot, the Bible uses the analogy of the church being a body and everyone has its different roles and its different functions. Nose is very prominent, okay? The heart though isn't prominent at all but it's very significant. It's too life-giving, it's too impactful to live without one. It's actually impossible to live without one. If we had to, we could probably live without a nose. It'd look kind of funny, but we could probably do it. But we can't live without a heart. The impact is too great. We need to live lives that leave an impact on eternity. People decide whether they're going to stay at a church, whether they're going to be open to receive anything from a church before they ever see anyone of prominence even on the stage. They make that decision. It's the little things like the coffee station being cleaned up. They don't know it because they didn't notice anything messy on the coffee station. But it's one less distraction that they do have to think about. That there's not trash all over the floors, that it's not cluttered, that a warm, welcoming face greeted them when they came in and gave them a hug and said they were glad they were here. Think about your first time here. What was it that made you want to stay or come back or feel like this is a friendly place? What was it that did that for you? God's called us to more than just staying in this one location. God's called us to more and so no matter how many people we have on the dream team, we always need more people because God's bringing us more people and we have to be ready for it. We have to have the people who are willing to serve. You're just, we're not living a full Christian life without serving. We just aren't. And whatever that looks like, it can be something on Sunday morning. It can be worship team, production team, it can be greeters, it can be parking lot, it can be set up, tear down, it can be ushers, it can be whatever. We have people who sweep the stage between services. We have people who, like I said, stock the bobby pins. Apparently that's my new favorite thing. We have people who do tons of things here, but we need more because God has called us to more and God has called you to more. 
God has called each and every one of us to more than we are currently living. Because you're part of this church and God has big things planned for us. We don't need to stagnate now to end our lives in despair. We can be generous now. We can give now to end our lives feeling full and being, uh, being fulfilled. See, we need you on the team here, but more importantly, God wants you on the team. He doesn't need you, he's God, but he wants you on the team. He wants you in your 10 out of 10s and in your three out of 10s and everything else, he wants you on his team. First Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, the word of God will not return void. It might seem like giving backpacks to kids is not like the biggest thing to win hearts over to God, but it says the word of God will not return void. That means what we say, the love we share, the gifts we give, the service we provide, that will not return void. That will not that is an investment into God's kingdom. You never know when that's gonna come back, when they're going to remember that one day. Hebrews 6.10 says, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other Christians, caring for his body, the body of Christ, the people in this room helps us all be able to go beyond these walls and reach out more. Matthew 25.21 says that when we go to heaven at the end of our lives, Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. If everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe today you're confused, feeling isolated or stagnant, maybe even feeling despair, and you want to replace that by feeling a sense of identity by living in real relationship with people, to be able to live more generously or to feel full of hope and joy. If you feel any of those things, Jesus wants you to be able to take a next step and grab onto the life that is truly life. We have so many ways here to be able to help you in your journey and just practically speaking, you can go to the next steps kiosk after the service and figure out a way to get involved and to get ready for what those next steps are. But for those of you feeling this way, who are ready to walk daily in a real relationship with Jesus, I wanna be able to pray with you today to be able to do that, to be able to experience that, to be able to know who he truly is. If that's you and you want Jesus to take over and fill your life with purpose and hope today, then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with. Ready? One, two, three, let's go. Yes, thank you guys for being brave. Thank you. You guys can put your hands down. And everyone today, I want you to repeat after me and pray with those who have raised their hands. Lord Jesus, I need you. I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me for living life my way. Today, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Take control of my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Give me the power to change. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Elevate City, let's celebrate with those who just gave their lives to the Lord today.